Welcome to Eye on Horror, the official podcast of iHorror.com. This is episode 91, otherwise known as season five, episode 13, the lucky 13. I am your host, James J. Edwards, and with me, as always, is your other host, Jacob Davison. How are you doing, Jacob? Uh, doing pretty good. I'm broadcasting from New England, so there's a uh, time and audio difference. Uh, if you notice, um, uh, I'm attending. A, uh, I was attending a friend's baby shower, and uh, it's been a hell of a day. You're three hours in the future, so don't tell us what happens. I hate spoilers. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, also with us yet again is your other other host, John Korea. How you doing, Korea? Uh, pretty good. You know, uh, Quantum Leap is still kicking my ass, but hey, you know, rent's being paid, so I'm happy. <laughs> we had to start late. We're recording late anyway than yeah. usual, but we had to start late because the dang CFL game went late. So CFL is kicking my ass. But hey, like you hey. say, the rent's getting paid. <laughs> the mortgage is getting paid and the dogs are getting fed. So, <laughs> hey, is it is it really bad? Because everyone loves to root for a rough rider. Yeah, the Argos took him though. I've been making that joke all week, and none of you have realized I was making Letterkenny references, and that that upsets me. I feel like I failed you. You have to watch Letterkenny to get their Letterkenny references. <sighs> See, this is why I feel I failed you. You haven't watched it yet. Okay, this is kind of horror related, so I'll start with this. My wife and I, the the, sec, the, the Better Call Saul is coming to an end, right? And I don't know if you guys watch Better Call Saul. No, I do. But um, I don't. I I watched like a few episodes and I was kind of I didn't get hooked. But my wife and I just binged through the first five seasons. And so we're all set for when the sixth season ends. We're going to, you know, pound through that one as well. Yeah, it is. I mean, I it's no breaking bad, but it's pretty close. And I find myself, I mean, Mike Ehrmantraut was my favorite breaking bad character. So I'm so glad that they that that he is in it so much. And I find myself when they're following his plot lines, I'm like, oh, okay, all right, here we go. <laughs> Here's some Mike. It's yeah. I, I'm, I'm all in on better call Saul. Now it did take me two starts to get through though, but game of Thrones took me like three or four starts until I started getting into it. So I think some shows just take a while to grab me. I like, I, I got it. I watched it when it first premiered, but the problem was, is at the time it was through the AMC app, uh, which was only on phone. And so I was watching it on my small smartphone and there was like 10 minute commercial breaks every two minutes. And I was just like, I had to bail after four episodes on that format and just never got back to it. We were watching it on Netflix, but um, we, what, what brought it up was um, a couple weekends ago, there was a breaking bad marathon and, you know, I can just put that on just as background noise and, you know, have it play through but they kept playing commercials they're like oh it's all coming to an end and i'm like maybe i should give that a try and uh and we did and we're all in uh, i've been working my way through mash <laughs> uh, well you're you're going with america's original binge yeah <laughs> and uh and also i do feel like better call saul is horror related i've been caught up to the entire series and there have been some incredibly tense scenes which i can't talk about because i would be spoiling them but rest assured there are some scenes of just pure terror and tension that they really do feel like they would fit right in in a horror movie just like breaking bad i mean in breaking yeah, bad yeah. i mean it's it's the same kind of stuff but yeah it's uh I was glad that I got into it the second time through because once it hooked me, I'm like, okay, I'm in, I'm in, but enough about better call Saul. Let's yeah. move on to something. I think all three of us have seen, and this is the big release this week. Nope. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought we were going to talk about mash again. Damn it. Sorry. <laughs> I've been I've, wrong prep. Wrong. Well, prep. I mean, it's the horrors of war. That's pretty scary. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, Jordan Peele's nope. Yeah, I saw it in IMAX and it was amazing. That's the only way to see it. Our press uh, screening was in IMAX as well. And that's the only way to see it. If you have not seen Nope yet, which by the time this posts, it will have been out for two weekends. So if you haven't seen it, what are you doing with yourself? But um, if you haven't seen it, see it on the biggest screen you can possibly find, because that's the kind of movie it is. It's like a, um, my issue with it. And this isn't really an issue because jordan peele is expanding it's not as so much of a horror movie as it is like a sci-fi epic so it's it's closer to me to like independence day or close encounters or arrival than it is to get out or us but it's really well made really well written um really well acted 
Yeah, I would say it's kind of his fire in the sky, you know, especially that first scene where you get to see inside, you know, the the ship, you know, and uh, try not to try not to spoil here. But yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> we- the, there was definitely some like very uh, fire in the sky as uh, moment. Uh, but it, it I compare it to that more so because fire in the sky was less uh, trying to be a horror movie than it was like a character study of this town and these people and uh, be more of a drama that just happened to have that. Don't get me wrong. Fire in the sky has some of the most terrifying scenes ever. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the shit out of it just because it was a close encounters movie that did things very different um, with a lot of it. I'm very interested in exploring uh, more academically through like interviews or uh, academic essays on it, on the themes of it. Cause it, it felt, I, I don't know if it's just, I didn't get a lot of them, but it felt like there was a lot of amb- ambiguity with it. The thing is, and, and I, I have a feeling that the three of us need to do a spoiler mini on this because yeah. the thing is about Nope is you can't really talk too much about it without giving away. I mean, the, for lack of a better word, the twist, because it's not really a twist, but you know, it's Jordan Peele. So you know that it's not just flying saucers and aliens. There's, there's something bigger at work and what's bigger at work is pretty jaw dropping. It's pretty awesome. So, yeah. you know, I, we don't even want to come close to spoiling that unless you've already seen it. I will say though, I do think it's funny that, you know, it seems like one type of movie and then it turns into something else, which has just kind of become a signature Jordan Peele move. It, yeah, yeah it, it does do that. Yeah, it does kind of take a right turn. But there, like like Kree was saying about the themes, like, I mean, there there are there are themes of like spectacle and exploitation. And then there's like family bonding, you know, and loyalty. And I, yeah, I, I think we need to do we need to do a mini at some point. <laughs> on this <laughs> but definitely at its core uh there's there's an overarching theme about kind of the ambition of greed and yeah. Oh, yeah. from different angles between you know uh steven young's character and uh the others you know everyone's you know as they keep saying in it like but one of my favorite moments in the movie and just because of how dramatic it is is when they're trying to get that cinematographer uh, to join <laughs> yeah. on their mission and they're like yeah we're trying to get the impossible shot and it just pauses and he just goes well that's impossible like <laughs> just so dramatically you know uh i think it kind of sums up a lot of it but god damn that sound design was oh, yeah. insane and yeah. and that's the thing too because uh i went to a late screening on friday night because of my weird hours with this new show um and I and I got sleepy because I, I think movie theaters need to not show 40 minutes of fucking trailers, especially after at, at an 11 p.m. screening, because that movie didn't start till almost midnight. Um, but I digress. Uh, so I saw it a second time at the drive in when I was less sleepy on Saturday night and just like in the theater, the sound just popping everywhere. And like when the uh, saucer is like going past the screams, oh, the noises that they made was just oh, so good, like. If that doesn't win for sound editing and sound design across the board, like I'm going to fight people. I think they combined the two categories of editing and mixing into just best sound, didn't they, for the Oscars? Probably they do. I feel like they did, which is fine because most people don't know the difference between sound design or sound editing and sound mixing anyway, um, especially Christopher Nolan. Oh, is that out loud? Um, anyway, uh, yeah, you're right. The sound design is amazing. He... It, Jordan Peele got sound guys who knew who know the difference between frequency and amplitude, uh, which Chris Nolan never gets those guys. But um, I'm taking shots at Nolan today, aren't I? Um, Well, I don't know about you, but I I was pissed at Nolan because after sitting through 40 minutes of fucking trailers and then Nicole Kidman talking about theaters and then celebrating 100 years, there suddenly was another fucking trailer for Oppenheimer before the movie started. I was just like, God damn it. Just start the movie. <laughs> you know, I I've been spoiled because they hardly ever have trailers at, um, at press screenings. So the only times that I ever really see trailer, but the only time I would see trailers was when I was using movie pass, uh, but every once in a while they will show a trailer before a press screening. And I kind of get pissed. I'm like, Oh, the, what the fuck is this? Show us the movie. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've been spoiled by that. But um, going back to what you're saying about greed, you are absolutely right. That is definitely a central theme, too, because when all of the alien stuff is going on, OJ and M, those are the two main characters. Um, they Their first uh, reaction is, let's get this on film so we can sell it. 
you know, they, I think they're calling it get the Oprah shot, you know, yeah, the, the, yeah. Sh- but, um, and then Steven Yoon's character, which I don't want to yeah, go Ricky Park into it. Yeah. Yeah. Rick, he, or sorry, Ricky Jupe Park. Yeah. Jupe. Yeah. Cause J- Jupiter's claim is his, he, he owns like a, um, not really an amusement West, Western park. theme I, town. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of an amusement park, but it's, it's like a Western themed tourist attraction. And yeah. I don't want to go in too much into what he does, but he wants to exploit the aliens for cash too. And also he's, he's got such a like, tra- uh, like tragic backstory as a child actor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but that is, that's kind of part of what, I mean, that, that relates to the whole thing. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah. Oh, just see uh, nope. See nope. Yeah, glory seeking, and see, and yeah, no, it's uh, it's worth seeing, and it's worth seeing. Yeah, I, that's that's what actually I put in my written review. I said, look, you know, pandemic be damned. Find a time when your theater is not going to be full. You know, if you have to do it at eleven a.m. on a Thursday, <laughs> go see Nope in a theater because you know, yeah, and IMAX. this is yeah, see it in the biggest screen you can because it's it's a spectacle movie, which is part of the point when we yeah. you know. If, if you get into the themes of it, spectacle is part of the movie. So 100%. And also, I just want to say between Nope, Scream Queens and her now being the guest judge on or the one of the main judges on Legendary, Kiki Palmer is absolutely killing it. And oh, yeah. Like, I, I can't. I'm excited to see uh, where she goes with this uh, momentum she's had, especially these last few years uh, with that. See, it's kind of weird because at first her character on Nope kind of bugged me. But then it's weird because like it grows on you and it becomes endearing. At first, I thought she was kind of abrasive, but then I'm like, oh, nah, she's just badass. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it was it was kind of weird. But yeah. speaking of abrasive main characters, you like this segue? We are the oh, kings. We're going to talk about Morbius. No, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's not where I was going. But we're I, we will talk about that after. I saw dash cam. Oh, I, I haven't seen this yet, but I've heard there's a bit of controversy. It, oh, my God. OK, so yeah. the quote heroine and I use that in quotes because she is super annoying. Like and the thing is, she's a total MAGA, you know, with her make America great again hat. And she wears a, a, a sweatshirt that has like anti liberals, and you know, and she anti vax stuff. Yeah. And she and she goes and preaches anti mask stuff. And she like gives like at one point she goes into a restaurant and the guy's like, can you put a mask on? She's like, oh, why are you impeding on my right? You know, and like and she was in England at the time. So it's like, <laughs> you know, go home. Yeah, oh, she was just so abrasive and annoying. And the thing is, I I'm trying to tell me, I don't think it was the fact that she was just a MAGA person. It was just that she was so abrasive and unlikable about it. You know, she was, which I think a lot of MAGA people are that way anyway, but I feel like they were going to the extreme with her. But then Jacob tells me (laughs) that the real, because it's basically a a girl playing herself. Annie Hardy, I think is her name. Yeah. Apparently it's not too far off from the real thing. Yeah. Oh. That's I mean, it doesn't surprise me because she acted it pretty well. She, she was pretty committed to the bit. Um, but oh, that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate yeah. there are people like that, I guess. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, yeah, I've only heard about it recently myself, you know, just I, because, you know, like when I first saw it, I just, you know, kind of interpreted like, uh, oh, she's playing a character, but apparently she's not really. So it's very unfortunate. Yeah. It now I the movie itself though I found really good. It it's it's directed by the guy who did host, Rob yeah. Savage. So it's kind of that same like screen horror kind of a thing. And um basically she and, and this is the kind of person she is, she goes to England to visit her old bandmate who is a liberal. So they, you know, and he gets into it with her with his girlfriend. She gets into it with his girlfriend. But anyway, she steals his car. And then he starts getting uh, he's like a um, whatever Britain's equivalent of Uber Eats is or DoorDash, because he starts getting food delivery apps. And she's all, well, I don't want him to lose his job. I better take his job. And so she steals his car and starts doing his job for him. And he's begging her the whole time. He's like, please bring the car back. Don't do this. Don't do this. And she, of course, gets into trouble doing it. But um, what I found, I found it a little confusing the first time through. And then I watched it a second time and read the whole thing is presented as a live stream because she live streams and he, she has commenters. And if you read the comments, they kind of fill in the gaps on what's going on. So, I mean, it, it's weird to say, you know, 
<laughs> watch dashboard twice if you can <laughs> once watch the movie and once um read the comments um it's a pretty short movie it's like less than 80 minutes i think it's like 78 or 79 minutes so it's not you know you're not killing your so you're not going through whatever it is rrr th- twice you know which is like mm-hmm. you know over three hours um but yeah, it, I, I found the second time through when I read the comments, I was like, okay, got it, got it. And there's also some cool things in the comments that kind of like there's at one point in the comments, one guy goes, did, did any of you guys see that thing that happened on Zoom last year? And it, talking about host, <laughs> it's pretty funny that uh, that he throws in little Easter eggs toward toward host in it. So anyway, dash cam, it's, it's kind of a cool little zombie movie, I guess. I mean, that's the the short way to do it, but man, is that main character annoying. And it's unfortunate that it wasn't a character that it was like actually her because. <sighs> and uh, as for me uh, with uh, home video releases, I got uh, two very interesting titles uh, for one. I finally got the uh, Dawn of the dead 4k box set. Like I was, I was lucky uh, diabolic DVD had a couple of um, uh, damaged units available. So it's a little dented, but you know, it still plays them all fine. And, you know, now that I got a 4K TV to actually play it on. The only downside is, you know, special features of region locks. But, I mean, it's just the most comprehensive down to the dead set possible. So, it's I would say it was worth it. And the other one I was excited about, and I know I talked about this on the show, but I can't believe it actually got a Blu-ray release. Uh, Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell, a.k.a. the Japanese Evil Dead, is now on Blu-ray. And it's such a fun title to say. Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell. And, um, yeah, no, and it did did a good job of clean, you know, clean transfer, um, got some commentaries, including stuff with Adam Green and Joe Lynch. And, uh, uh, I'm glad it's now available to a wider audience because it's a fun batshit Japanese homage to Sam Raimi. Nice. You need to get a region free player now, dude. You got, you got the 4k TV, you got (sighs) the player, you gotta, you gotta free yourself from, you know, these landlocked old ways of region coding. Have you even seen the, the, the director's cut of Midsommar yet? It's, no. <laughs> well, that's Someday. available in 4K on uh, from if you get it from the A24 shop. From A24, yeah. Uh, which is a gorgeous, you know, uh, set there. So I highly recommend it. I think it's back in stock now. Yeah, they did another run. They did a reorder of it. Yeah. All right, Korea. Let's do it. It's Morbin time. All right. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> So uh, somehow Korea is under the impression that I've been too positive about Morbius just well, because I said I like it as a vampire movie more than a superhero movie. So he's here to reign all over it. See, here's the thing is, yeah, I feel like you're because you're the only person who has said positive things about Morbius. And so I had enough credits. And so I got Morbius for like two bucks digitally. And, you know, but it helped me get a, another free digital movie from Sony Rewards. So that's that's a positive thing about the movie. Um, it got me another movie. Uh, no, uh, here's the thing is that Morbius. Ugh, it's not a gr- it's not a good movie. Let's, let's just put that out there. Uh, but it's not terrible there. There's the makings of a good movie in there somewhere. I think its main problem is that the character Morbius did not need that big of a budget. It, it really didn't. Morbius was always more of a low key character. I think like a mid budget, more gothic, modern gothic style would have been great. Uh, Jared Leto is insufferable, uh, which was surprising to me because like, yes, in real life, he's I, I view him as insufferable. But he gave me one of my favorite performances in the last couple of years with House of Gucci. So, I mean, you know, I can't hate the guy when he does good. But man, dude, they just. He Morbius also doesn't need to be a character that has one liners. And that movie is just like every other thing that comes out of his mouth is trying to be a one liner. Like the movie opens up with him getting out of a helicopter on a cane and someone's like, someone call a doctor. And he just turns the camera and he's like, I am a doctor. Like, fuck off. <laughs> and that, well, he's, and that, he's stating a fact. He is a doctor. Yeah, but to present as like a one liner, the Venom line, like there's just like all these parts where it's like you're trying to be cool, but like Morbius isn't cool. Like that's what like one of the, he's he's a Spider-Man villain to its core or like a Spider-Man reluctant villain, you know, where it's it's sad. Everything about Morbius is sad. You know, he's got the typical Spider-Man villain backdrop of like 
trying to do good and it backfiring and you know it, it's a tragic story and so like trying to fit it into that mold was just like not working uh matt but i did like a lot of the stuff of like what they were doing with like matt smith's character and like normally i complain about uh too many superhero movies doing the iron man formula where you know uh the main villain of the origin story has the same powers as the hero like how boring would an or batman origin movie be if someone was very powerful and had money and inf- was influential you know also really good at martial arts i'm just describing batman begins i'm sorry um but it, it's just done too much but i thought it worked well you know but that dance scene with matt smith was just really weird i don't know just overall yeah i think i think morbius has uh deserved a lot of its uh memification and uh kind of rat it being kind of ragged on but i needed there it had a few moments where it was fun it's just it's just a silly movie and it's a silly thing to try to fit this character into that mold and it just doesn't work i see it kind of the same way i see venom which is basically sony trying to make the most of the spider-man villains they have so i mean that that's kind of they they are kind of trying to shoehorn it into the spider-man universe mold but but i don't think it's going to transition over to the marvel universe but it's just not working that well. Cause I mean, like even with the news that Craven is an animal rights activist and it's like, this is Craven. He's the ultimate hunter. The whole reason why he goes, Oh, I can hunt Spider-Man is because in his mind, he's the ultimate uh, Spider-Man is basically an animal and is the ultimate game. Cause he can't hunt people. And it's, it's to make you're, you're fundamentally going after, uh, throwing out what is at that character's core. I mean, like, obviously I'm going to see it again, see that one too, because I'm a comic book, you know, movie lover, but like, cut damn, well, dude. Now now you're getting into the differences between the comic and the movie, and I didn't read the comic. So maybe maybe that's what's killing it for you if you're comparing it. Well, I mean, it's it's just, again, it's just, it's, it, it didn't need, we could have had like a really fun mid-budget, you know, modern gothic. There's a lot of visual stuff that was going on in there that was really cool. Uh, but also, why did why did they go with CGI faces on them so hard? Because it's terrible. Like the CGI face thing was worse than an episode of Buffy, you know? Yeah. Like there's that one scene where he's like, oh, man, I can fly. But it takes like five minutes and it's just slow motion. Matt Smith running in slow motion with like terrible CGI face and like a train's coming and it's slow motion. And it's Jared Leto. And he's like, oh, I can feel the wind. I can feel the wind. And they spend five fucking minutes on it for some reason. Like, yeah. The, the CG, I like the CG where um, where like his face starts turning, but then turns back real quick. And that can only be done with CG. So, I mean, that that's that's what I liked. But when they're like talking and stuff and they have like the CG vampire face, it just uh, it just doesn't look good. I mean, Star Wars hired the deep fake guys. Why couldn't Sony, you know? Uh, and let me ask you this. So do you think that Morbius was meme worthy? Like, you know, just because the, the whole reason it became so notorious was because of the memes. Yeah, I, I think it is because it's it's a silly movie and it's there's so much to just kind of like groan at and giggle at. Like I could see it being like a good like you're drunk midnight watch with some friends just kind of poking fun at it. Mr. You know? Policeman, I gave you all the clues. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's yeah. You know, it's funny because Sony actually misinterpreted the memes to think that people wanted to see their movie again. So they put it back into theaters that flopped the second time. (laughs) Which is beautiful. It's so beautiful. It is is funny in an ironic way. Yeah. I do got to say, I did watch a good comic book movie that this week that is... um, that is horror related. It's the new Constantine uh, movie, the house of mystery, which kind of works as an epilogue to uh, DC's uh, animated universe. Cause they did a run where it was like 12 or 15 animated movies that were loosely connected, uh, starting with uh, justice league flashpoint Par- paradox and ended with uh, God, I can't remember the title of the last one. Oh, apocalypse war. And basically like Constantine helps, to like reverse on the effects of like what the apocalypse war brought onto the world. And now he's dealing with like the consequences where he's like locked inside his house of mystery and throughout the whole, it's a, it's a short film too. It's like uh, about a half hour, 45 minutes, but 
throughout the whole thing, he keeps encountering those that he loves and they, they turn into demons and brutally murder him. And then he wakes up in a different part of the house and it happens again. It just keeps going and going. And he ends up spending, he said like time moved differently. Days become weeks, weeks, months, years into decades. And he was just like basically doomed to spend eternity there. And it was really brutal. Uh, the animation was really good, but in the uh, end, it turns out that like, it wasn't a punishment. He was put into the house to basically be safe and like not cause any more chaos with his magic. And they're like, yeah, we put you in the house with your loved ones and it's your own, like basically self-hatred that has turned this good thing into a punishment. And I thought that was really brutal. So, and it's uh, yeah, I always love Constantine. It's always good stuff there. If uh, speaking of brutal, um, I saw this movie, it- it's a couple of years old. It's called Aqua Slash. Are you guys familiar with oh, it? Oh, yeah. The one with the killer water slide. <laughs> yeah. No. Have you seen it? No. What? Have you seen it, Jacob? Um, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I did see clips. At first, you think it's just like a slasher because there's like, you know, a killer that wants to. It's basically there's a, a high school graduation party at this water park. And it's like a weekend at this water park. And it actually, which this kind of goes back to Nope, but it has a pretty rockin' version of sunglasses at night. Oh, which, yeah. Which Nope also has. But um, there, there was 35 years ago or 30 years ago, there was something at this water park that, so there's a killer that's vowing revenge on it. And the only problem with it is, is like, I thought it was going to be like Saw at a water park where you know all of the rides are trapped at the risk of spoiling it they only booby trap one water slide and there are three water slides so any so the people who go down that one run into this trap and it 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 is it 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 turns into a carnage fest because there are communication issues where they can't turn the thing off and all but it's uh it it takes a while to get where it's going but it is uh it, it it's a movie it is um it, it's also short it's like 70 minutes so it's 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 pretty it's a pretty quick watch you know th- this is gonna be my dude bro party massacre i think where like <laughs> you know I, I, I you know i'm admitting this isn't a great movie but i had a lot of fun with it and i can see myself re-watching it a few times yeah nice yeah it does seem like a fun summer movie yeah, my, my one problem with it was that there wasn't enough carnage, which is weird because by the end, it's a bloodbath. But I was expecting more like every ride in this water park to be booby trapped. And it's really only part of one ride, but no one knows. So they keep going down it. Sounds like a great double feature with that documentary about Adventure Park. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Like the you real class there. action park. Yeah. yeah. Class <laughs> action park. The, the thing is, um, the. The water slide that that they um, the reason that nobody knows it's booby trapped is because it is completely enclosed. It's not like a, a half pipe one that, you know, you're used to seeing. Um, so which is like the one at, at Class Action Park, um, the, the one that does a loop to loop. Oh, it's God. Completely enclosed. And people kept on breaking their legs. Well, and also, if you don't make it through the loop. How do you get out? They have <laughs> a like, hatch that they enclosed. have to pull you out of. But yeah. the, the hatch is at the top. So <laughs> Yeah. Do they throw a ladder down to you if you're at the bottom? I, oh, man. I don't know. I mean, it was a dumb Who designed idea. that thing. <laughs> they send a bigger kid down to just like slam into you and push you through. <laughs> just like the Simpsons. See, see, yeah. See, see, see Aqua Slash, because that's not unlike some of the things that happen in that. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and speaking of uh, summer horror movies, um, I and New England, I saw uh, this New England folk horror movie at Cinematic Void last week uh, called Dark August, set in Vermont. And it's interesting because uh, I've seen some comparisons to it to kind of more modern psychological and supernatural horror. It's basically about this dude from New York who moves to the small Vermont town and he accidentally kills the granddaughter of this local hermit in a car accident. But he's found now get not guilty because he ran in front of his car. So the, the old hermit man places a curse on him and he starts having all this weird stuff happen like he starts having chest pains and he starts seeing this hooded figure stalk him through the forest and you kind of see the hooded figure in the background in certain scenes this is surprisingly effective uh it's from like the mid 70s and it's like a, a, a very regional very independent type of film so um 
it's it's on that arrow um American American Horror Project box set volume two. So if you got that, I would definitely recommend it for a taste of what it's like to live in New England. <laughs> yeah, dude. Sorry, guys. I'm going to keep talking about comic book movies uh, this episode because I went and saw uh, Thor Love and Thunder today. Did you guys check that one out yet? Yeah, I saw it. I have not. Oh, man, it's great. Taika Waititi continues to uh, make visually uh, fun movies that have an overarching uh, humor that can only be described as dumb bisexual, which I love. Uh, Cause that, I don't know if you guys saw the meme that went around where it was like, what if we, what if pirates were dumb and bisexual, you know, and then that's his one show and it's great. Um, but yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. I thought they adapted the, uh, the uh, mighty Thor storyline of Jane Foster kind of taking the mantle and getting the powers really well. Uh, it was great seeing all of them back. But the main thing I want to talk about, because this is a horror podcast, is Gore the God Butcher. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I was really worried because, you know, uh, one thing that kind of bothers me is that modern superhero movies try too hard to do the Spider-Man 2 thing where the villain is sympathetic. There's a reason why, you know, there's a horrible thing that happened and it made him that way. But at the, at the end, they're good and they redeem themselves. And they kept saying in interviews that this is the most sympathetic uh, supervillain in uh marvel movies and i was just like ah, i just want evil to be evil you know sometimes you know it's okay for why is this guy evil because he was you know just an evil bastard and i really dug i did really i think they nailed it really well because they had a whole thing about uh his sword kind of corrupting him and when he was uh in his corrupted state he was a scary motherfucker there's some really great scenes uh there's even a jump scare uh, during one of the the initial fight between him and Thor, where he's in one spot and then he's another, and I and it got us got me thinking about our main topic today, which is horror and summer blockbusters, because Thor: Love and Thunder is very much so you know a Marvel movie and very much so a summer blockbuster, but there's a lot of elements of horror in there, and so I guess what I'm trying to say is I guess this is a segue. Are we segueing into our main topic now? Hey, you're the king of segues. Oh, well, look at this, guys. We nailed another one. (laughs) Perfect segue. It's summertime. We're hot. We're sweating. And yeah, we wanted to talk about summer blockbusters because, as we all know, the original summer blockbuster is drumroll. Oh, no drumroll. It's Jaws. I found this article in USA Today where it talks about summer blockbusters and basically and it's going by box office draw so i mean you know box office numbers so this isn't you know it may not be completely what we think of when we think of summer blockbusters but let me go through some of these ones starting with 1975 which was the year this the term was coined summer blockbuster because it was jaws 76 is the omen yeah movie yeah 77 was star wars not horror but there are elements and you know who doesn't love star wars 78 Greece. Eh. Uh, I mean, I love Greece, but not there, horror. There's some um, horrifying aspects of Greece. I will argue <laughs> in that those people are way too old to be high schoolers. And that is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yes. Yes, that's true. And the car at the end. How did they not hit like mess up some air control? Like, come on. That did not end well. <laughs> 79. The Amityville horror. 80. The Empire Strikes Back. 81 Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'll fight anyone who tells me that they didn't get scared when that guy's face melted in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yeah. 82 E.T. Uh, 83 Return of the Jedi. So, you know, you're going through 84 blo- uh, Ghostbusters, 85 Back to the Future. So basically Spielberg made a lot of money back Spiel- in the day. Yeah. Oh, oh he did. He did. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's I think that's that should be the new topic is like, wow, Spielberg really dominated the summer for like a <laughs> solid decade or two, didn't he? Uh, but yeah, no, going through those titles, there's not only some horror films, but there's movies with horror horror aspects to it. Uh, Indiana Jones especially was always uh, one franchise that never was scared of dipping their toes into their Raiders of the Lost Ark Temple of Doom, especially has some of, I mean, guy gets his heart ripped out. Uh, oh yeah. And it's because of that and gremlins that they uh, did the P started the PG 13 because they're like, eh, there's definitely like a middle ground here. And, you know, Spielberg and co didn't want to lose out on money with movies being rated R. So that was the compromise PG 13. 
I thought the first PG-13 was Red Dawn. It was, but it was uh, it was the those movies, uh, you know, uh, Indiana Jones and Gremlins and a few others that were like, this really shouldn't be PG. Oh, I, I get what you're yeah. saying. So they're the ones who started the discussion. Right. And Red Dawn's the first one that got the label. OK, yeah. I think I want to say Red Dawn and Bear Island, I think, were the first two that I remember seeing as PG-13. But anyway, so with these, I mean, summer blockbusters, I mean, Jaws is Jaws is a horror movie. Oh, we'll yeah, undoubtedly. That. But summer blockbusters now are more sci-fi or comic book movies. I mean, you otherwise the black phone would have been this year's summer blockbuster. Um, what, why do you think that that shift was made? Do you think it's because the summer blockbuster now is, is seen as more of a spectacle more of like like the wow and and that might be movies like Jurassic Park or Independence Day that that bring that along because you want to be wowed when you see them uh yeah i would definitely say that's a factor especially because you know like uh summer blockbusters tend to be the highest budgeted movies capable of exhibiting such spectacle which is why a lot of blockbusters these days are marvel movies but uh, i do feel like it does tie a lot back into horror because yeah you know like jaws was definitely a horror movie in part and so many other horror movies were considered summer blockbusters and i would even argue that uh many summer blockbusters yeah, uh, even today or even going back at least have a root or influence in horror like I just rewatched uh, the mummy remake from 1999 with uh, Bre- uh, Brendan Fraser and that is de- it's mostly an action movie but it is definitely also a horror movie <laughs> because you know like I remember seeing it as a kid and getting kind of freaked out you know like they, it's like uh, you know they want to create spectacle but they also want to pro- they also need to provide thrills they need to you know hook the audience and a lot of times that involves doing something uh, particularly shocking and which also, you know, another example, uh, Independence Day, uh, those aliens could be pretty creepy. And there's a, there's a whole scary scene where the uh, alien awakes during the autopsy and like attacks uh, the president and the scientist. So, I, you know, you look at a lot of different blockbusters, you will have at least a few scary scenes, uh, which, you know, a lot of ties into, you know, just uh, adrenaline. But, uh, you know, either way, I feel like the DNA of horror is so intrinsic to summer blockbusters that, you know, it's in there in one form or another. Well, it's it goes back to the, there's so much that it it goes with it. I mean, horror is ingrained in our is it, it's ingrained in our blood as a species. You know, we've evolved to the point where we don't have something else uh, hunting us. And so we tell stories by the campfire or. We love the thrill of of seeing gladiators fight in the Colosseum. You know, um, modern modern horror movies are still, you know, a continuation of all of that. And, you know, when you go to see uh, a summer blockbuster, you're, you're going for the spectacle. You're going for the big effects. You're going for the thrills. You're going to see, you know, crazy stunts and whatnot. And horror lends into that because fundamentally it's that build and release that happens with the, you know, the tension building up and then the release uh, of the kill of, or of the, of the jump scare. And it, so it, it does lend itself into it. And uh, it is interesting that, you know, we see threads or trends all, all the time when it comes to this, you know, uh, before superhero movies were the big thing, there was, you know, in the nineties, it was the uh, erotic thrillers that were like the big box office ones. And then, for a while, it was musicals. And before then, it was, you know, uh, Westerns, you know, going back in the 80s, it was slashers dominating, you know. Uh, so, I mean, it, we all go, it all goes through threads on what's popular uh, at the time. And I do think that there is a big connection between these spectacles and horror. I mean, we see it all the time. How many of these superhero movies are being helmed by people who got their start in horror? Shazam uh, was, you know, directed by one John Watts, who helmed the last three Spider-Man movies got to start doing, uh, you know, cop car and clown. So there's always uh, that aspect that uh, wild and release. And I mean, I would even argue uh, superhero movies inherently have that uh, built into it because it's always good versus evil. And that's a basic thread in horror as well. Right. Did you, who'd you say Shazam was directed by? Oh, I, I didn't mention who uh, Shazam was directed by. Oh, okay. No, uh, it's 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 the guy who did um, David F. Sandberg, the guy who did Lights Out. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did, did you, I, I thought that you said that uh, the guy who did Shazam did cop car. No, that uh, that was John Watts who did the okay. Spider-Man's. Yeah. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, I mean, even Aquaman was James Wan. Oh, yeah. You know, who absolutely started in horror. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Scott Derrickson, you know, he oh, did yeah. Sinister and he did Doctor Strange, the first yeah. one. And and James Gunn as well with Guardians. So it's it's kind of cool, actually, that the, the horror directors who have gone on to do these big spectacle movies. Well, you also mentioned some of the, you know, top tier ones. Uh, you mentioned The Omen earlier. That was directed. The Omen was directed by Richard Donner, who did uh, Superman and Superman 2. I, I don't recognize the theatrical cut of Superman 2. It was only the Richard <laughs> Donner cut. Uh, but I mean, that's that was the start of it. And even, you know, the creation of Summer Blockbuster with Jaws, it is a horror film. They'd say uh, very much so a student of Hitchcock film, uh, you know. But uh, well, and also yeah. he had done was this uh, after he did Duel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, Spielberg started in horror. Yeah, so, <laughs> there's, I there's guess no, there's no denying that the that the DNA is there in summer blockbuster. I just find it interesting that we don't see horror films getting put in that slot as much anymore. I mean, no. for the most part, they're relegated to, you know, around Halloween or the rougher ones are in January, you know, uh, but no one really takes that risk with horror in the summer blockbuster, which is interesting because so many horror, uh, summer blockbusters do, you know, take influence and take bits of it. Like I said, with Thor and uh, thunder, there's not only the jump scare and the general creepiness of Christian Bale's character, but there's a great scene where the kids are in a cage and they're telling stories about Thor and how Thor is going to come and save him. And he's like, Oh, you want to hear some stories? And he's real creepy throughout the whole thing. Very unsettling. Like he ends up uh, ripping a demon's head off uh, in front of the kids. He's like, oh, what? You like the story of Thor decapitating (laughs) someone? Also, also because of that, I would love to see Christian Bale. uh, You know, I know he did American Psycho, but I'd like to see him be kind of more of a Freddy Krueger-esque horror villain where, you know, he says a one-liner after he kills people. I, I would I would watch a nightmare on Elm street movie with Christian bill. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I want to watch a British nightmare on Elm street. I want him to use his actual accent in a movie for once. I think that would be, that would be interesting. My take on horror and summer blockbusters. I, I think you're right. I, I don't think that the studios have enough faith in there. There's so much money at stake in the summer months. And I don't think they have as much faith in something like the black phone that's for it to go on to make billions, you know? So they, they use movies like, like Marvel movies or like, you know, the Harry Potter movies, you know, they're going to use movies that they know people are going to come out of the, and I think Nope is actually a good example because there's such a push to get people to come to the theater to see it, including from me. I mean, I'm telling people to come to the theater to see it. So I think they're almost stealthily putting horror into these summer blockbusters because that's what's going to keep the thrills there. But they don't want to call them horror movies because, yeah, that might turn people off from them. Kind of. I mean, if you look at the two trailers for Nope, uh, Nope, the first trailer for Nope came off very horror movie. I would even say that they kind of did that thing that they did with Midsommar that annoyed me where they made, uh, you know, the trailer for Midsommar, they made the Oracle seem like a bigger deal than he was in the movie. Uh, and they kind of did that with Nope with a couple of shots where it's like, Oh, what's this very interesting person or thing that's going to be oh, integral to the movie. And then it, uh, you know, it was still great. Uh, it was used in the movie, but it wasn't a big factor. You know, I don't watch trailers generally, but I think I know the character you're talking about. Yeah. Um, that seems like it, the same thing as the Oracle from Midsommar that seems like it might be a bigger deal in the movie. And it's not, it's a bit part, but yeah, it is used. Um, the, the, the thing with Nope is, and I, the reason that the first trailers were probably more horror related is it was Jordan Peele. And that's what people were like, okay, you know, he's got a transition 
And I think he successfully made the transition to blockbuster. I, I have a feeling he's going to be getting bigger budgets now because he knocked it out of the park with Nope. And Nope is more than just a j- just a subversive horror movie. It is this summer blockbuster. I mean, it's you know, I mean, it it does it is smarter than your average you know Independence Day thriller. But at, when you look at it, you're like, okay, this is you know. Jordan Peele's doing it. Yeah, and uh, he's showing it at the box office, too. Like, I'm just reading that uh, Nope had a 44 million debut, and it's the highest opening weekend at the domestic box office for an original movie since Jordan Peele's Us in 2019. So Jordan Peele is making the magic happen. But the last two weeks, it's been Thor, number one, at the the box office. So (laughs) I think there's a certain kind of movie that um, that gets people's blood pumping. And um, and they almost have to sneak the horror into them to keep it exciting, you know, because, you know, like, like I said, everybody remembers from Raiders of Lost Ark, that guy's face melting. Everybody remembers Large Marge from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. Everybody remembers Dan Aykroyd turning into that crazy uh, gremlin thing in Twilight Zone, the movie at the beginning. You know, I mean, it, those are the memory builders, the horror parts. So, you know, Christian Bale chopping a demon's head off might be what gets the kids to remember Thor blood and thunder in, you know, 20 years, you know, love and thunder, love and thunder. Yes. <laughs> the sequel is going to lead even thunder? more into horror. And it's going to be called blood and thunder. Yeah. The next Spider-Man movie should be like, can I just go home already? <laughs> Take me home. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be uh no, it's going to be called uh Spider-Man. My baby's taking me home and it's just going to be scored by Sparks and it's going to be amazing. Well, let me ask you guys this. So where do you think the future of summer blockbusters could be going? Do you think they'll lean more into horror or do you think uh, it'll still be superheroes for a while? Because frankly, you know, between um, uh, the Black Phone, which wasn't exactly, you know, a huge summer blockbuster, but proportionally to its budget to gross, it did very well. And of course, Nope, which is, uh, massive box office opening. Uh, do you think that uh, horror is going to shine more or do you think uh, it'll go to more glitzier types of movies? It's interesting because uh, even before Thor, the number one movie was Matt, uh, Top Gun. Absolutely dominated the box office for a month straight, pretty much. So it's, yeah, it's an interesting one because, I mean, we are still kind of in the middle of that hybrid. You know, people are still viewing a lot more from home. People uh, not as I think people are getting more comfortable. We are in the middle of a sixth wave, which we're, you know, working in COVID onset. I can tell you it's not great out there at all. Uh, and we really shouldn't be doing all these things. But, hey, you know, uh, that's just one person's opinion. Uh, but I don't know. It's 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 a little hard to predict. Uh, I think on where the trends are going. I just know that horror is always going to be a part of it because it's a part of everything, really. I think the summer blockbuster has changed um, partially because a lot of people, myself included, are still kind of sketch on going to theaters right now. So, I mean, you're not going to ever see Star Wars or Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of numbers again. You know, I mean, even Top Gun Maverick and Thor uh, Love and Thunder, they aren't doing nearly the box office they would have been if there wasn't a pandemic. You know, so I think people are still kind of sketch on going to theaters. Um, I like to think that horror is going to be more active in the summer blockbusters, you know, picture. Um, but also, I think the fact that that so much horror is going directly to VOD so quickly. I mean, the Black Phone's already on VOD, the theater at home. Um, so, and and those numbers don't get put into the box office. So, you know, it, as far as money goes, I don't think they're showing that kind of a profit. So, the thing is, even if it doesn't get the money, the quality movies, because I know everyone's loving Nope, and everybody loved the Black Phone. I think from a quality standpoint horror is where it's at because they save the big Oscar bait movies for, you know, like September through the end of the year. Um, so summer is basically where they want to put their spectacle movies. And I don't know if I think that the horror has to be more stealthy in the spectacle movies, you know? Yeah. You know, personally, I, I do feel like blockbusters may 
uh, take a closer stance toward horror just because horror consistently has proven to be both profitable and entertaining, you know, as far back as the universal monsters. So uh, yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure how, but you know, or with what is to come, but I, you know, like movies like Friday the 13th uh, were summer blockbusters in part for their day, you know, not the huge ones, but the fact that they uh, were guaranteed to make a big box office. So I feel like there will be kind of a similar sentiment and uh, you know, it'll depend, but I I do feel like we'll be seeing some summer blockbuster type horror more in the future. The future of horror is Morbius. (laughs) Morbing to more electric boogaloo, more, more electric boogaloo. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, actually, the future of horror, it would be better if it was Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Let's call it yeah. that then. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, you mean Evil Dead 4? <laughs> Evil Dead 4. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let, let's cut it here. Call this one an episode. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think about summer blockbusters? Do you like your summer blockbusters with a little smidge of horror in them like we do? Um, do you already think that horror movies are summer blockbusters, you know, when they're put out? Let us know. Hit us up. Uh, we can be reached, uh, geez, on any of the socials. We're Eye on Horror on Twitter, Insta, Facebook. Just find us. But seriously, guys, remember that scene in Independence Day when the alien kills everyone in the room and then wraps its tentacles around Data from Star Trek Next Generation and is communicating through him? And it's just like, we want it. Like, that shit was terrifying as a kid. Let's bring that back to the summer blockbusters. My sentiment, exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, our theme song is by Restless Spirit, so go give them a listen. And our artwork is by Chris Fisher, so go give him a look. And we will see you guys in a couple of weeks. So keep going to the movies for Nope, but uh, do it responsibly and uh, wear a mask, get your jab, and uh, find a dead screening. And uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. So for me, James J. Edwards. I'm Jacob Davison. And I'm Jonathan Korea. Keep your eye on horror. <laughs>